It's been called the biggest party of the summer and for no bad reason. A little premature though if you ask me, as we're only at the start of August, but SummerSlam just wrapped up a short while ago, and I'm here to talk all about that event and more in this jam-packed episode. Greetings all, you are listening to the Royal Ramble, and I'm your host Blaine the Brain. SummerSlam was in Detroit this year, and a friend of the show, Narubin, actually made the trip down from Toronto to attend live, so I'll be chatting with him next week about his live experience and also about his planned trip to London later this month, as in addition, he will be attending the AEW All-In event at Wembley. I'm insanely jealous. But apparently not as jealous as Jimmy Uso. I'll get into that in just a bit. First, there were a couple of other shows that took place last weekend, so I would be remiss if I didn't talk about them as well. The UFC hit another home run with their 291st pay-per-view last Saturday, Actually, I'm not sure if that's accurate, but it was UFC 291 in Salt Lake City, Utah, the city of the gold rush, and gold was definitely contested that night. The show got underway with some welterweight action as Michael Chiesa took on Kevin Holland. Holland managed to block a few takedowns and eventually secure a darse choke for the submission victory. Tony Ferguson battled Bobby Green in the lightweight division. These guys were standing and banging to start, and Ferguson did connect with a solid right hand, which knocked Green down, but not out. In a later round, Ferguson caught an accidental thumb to the eye, which may have led to his downfall. From there, Green landed some hammer fists from a grounded position, which busted Ferguson open. Green then transitioned into an arm triangle, and Ferguson passed out, so Green took the victory. The big guys took center stage next, as Derek Lewis took on Marcos Rogerio de Lima in heavyweight action. If you blinked, you might have missed it. Lewis immediately landed a pump knee, shades of Jorge Masvidal on Ben Askren, and then drilled Marcos with some heavy ground and pound from the full mount for the quick TKO. The co-main was between light heavyweights Jan Blakovich and Alex Pereira. This one was tougher to call. Pereira did manage to secure a standing guillotine at one point, but was unable to put away Blakovich, though that may have been enough to earn him the split decision victory. And then in the main event, it was the battle for the BMF title, which I'm not sure is an official UFC championship, but it was contested between lightweight Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. Poirier landed a body shot early, and Gaethje's eye also started to swell midway through the fight, but Gaethje came back with a vicious head kick out of nowhere for the KO victory. What a shot that was. The weekend didn't end there, though, because on Sunday night, the NXT crew invaded Austin, Texas for their annual Great American Bash event. Usually this is a TV special, but this year it was on pay-per-view. The opening video was narrated by Cody Rhodes, as the Rhodes name has always been associated with this event, as it was created by Cody's father, Dusty Rhodes, close to 40 years ago. It featured highlights of previous Great American Bash events, though I'm sure people are still trying to erase the memory of those terrible WWE ones. 
Perhaps this event should have been in Salt Lake City as there was a lot of gold on the line that night, starting with the opening contest for the NXT Tag Team titles with Tony D'Angelo and Stax Lorenzo, the family, challenging the Gallus trio, though only two of the three were actually participating in the match. Participating is probably not the right word as all three technically participated, but only two were legal. I didn't care for this feud on TV. It made little to no sense and I couldn't figure out which team were supposed to be the babyfaces. This actually ended up being much better than I expected, and I was particularly impressed with the performance of Stax here, as he's not someone that has ever really stood out to me previously, but he had a good night. He was basically isolated in the Gallus corner for much of the match, and then eventually made the hot tag to Tony. The Gallus boys used a club at one point behind the ref's back, and then hit their finisher on Stax, but Tony broke the pin. Not to be outdone, the family then used their weapon of choice, a crowbar, once again behind the ref's back, and then hit almost like a reverse double spine buster, which I think more closely resembled a double belly-to-back suplex, and that earned them the win and the titles. So we started things off very hot with a title change that I don't know if anyone expected. We transitioned from that right into the next match. It was called Weapons Wild, which is basically just extreme rules, between Roxanne Perez and Blair Davenport. As Roxanne made her entrance, they aired footage of a recent interview at a convention, which was interrupted by Davenport and led to a huge brawl. Roxanne was greeting some of the fans at ringside as she was attacked in the aisle by Davenport, who had disguised herself as a fan. Roxanne's mother and younger sister were also shown in the crowd, so there was no way she was losing this match. The ladies brought out a strap to use at one point. There was a frightening spot where Roxanne was kicked off the apron and took a bad spill on the floor, but appeared to be okay afterwards. Roxanne fired back with a big splash off the top rope through a table and then finished Davenport off with pop rocks onto a stack of chairs, which is the exact same way she won the last Weapons Wild match against Cora Jade last year. They show Andre Chase and Duke Hudson in the back with Thea Hale giving her a last-minute training session before her submission match later. The much-anticipated debut of Gable Stevenson was up next against Baron Corbin, and the fans absolutely hated it. And they may have hated Stevenson even more. It's never a good sign when you're a babyface and you get booed in a match against go-away Heat Corbin. The fans were actually chanting for Corbin at one point, and there were you're not angle chants directed at Stevenson, especially when he went for the ankle lock. They might have called the audible to get this one home early because the action spilled to the floor and they just started brawling until eventually both being counted out. It wasn't a great showcase of either talent in my opinion, and I hope there are plans for a complete repackaging here for Stevenson. The brawl ended with Stevenson belly-to-belly suplexing Corbin through the ringside barricade. Lyra Valkyria was interviewed next about her recent match with Rhea Ripley. She said she's now thirsty for more and now knows she can go toe-to-toe with anybody. She's then attacked from the blind side by JC Jane and those two start brawling. A lot of brawling on this show. Rhea Ripley and Dirty Dom just casually pass by as this is going on and Rhea very sarcastically remarks that this is what she was waiting for. The North American title was on the line next in a triple threat match with Dirty Dominic Mysterio defending against Wes Lee and Mustafa Ali. I'm not so sure why this needed to be a triple threat, nor why Ali had to be part of it, as he was kind of the odd man out here, and I'm not certain whether he's supposed to be a babyface or a heel. As soon as the bell rings, both Lee and Ali immediately turn their attention to Dominic. Dom manages to avoid the action in the early going and picks his spots. As the two challengers were jockeying for position on the top rope, Dom sneaks in and knocks both of them off. There was a cool spot later where the challengers executed a double-team three amigos to Dominic. 
Ali then applied a dual submission with a Boston Crab on Dominic and a Camel Clutch on Wes at the same time. And then there was kind of a dumb spot where both Dom and Wes were draped across the bottom rope with the upper halves of their bodies on the ring apron. And they both just kind of had to lay there while Ali set up his spot. He went for a 450 splash off the top, but they both moved and he crashed and burned on the apron. On second thought, I actually kind of liked this in that it seemed like they were setting up Ali to think he was in control, so perhaps it wasn't as dumb a move as I thought. Rhea eventually got involved. She hit the riptide on Lee through the announce table. Later on, Dominic was hanging in a tree of woe from the outside as Ali hit a 450 splash on Lee in the ring, but Rhea pulled Ali out of there and allowing Dom to finish Lee off with a frog splash to keep the title. Trick Williams was interviewed up next. He says Ilya Dragunov may respect the Trick and Mello friendship, but Dragunov will never understand it. And tonight, Mello will show Dragunov why he is him. I feel like this entire promo and the match were intended to tease a Trick Williams heel turn, which is exactly what I expect to happen in the next month or so. Tiffany Stratton put her NXT women's title on the line next against Thea Hale in a submission match. This was another match that ended up being much better than I expected. Tiffany in particular was really good in this one. She had quite a lot of submission attempts, including a surfboard, bow and arrow, and gory special, but Thea managed to escape all of them. Thea did end up getting the Kimura at one point, but Tiffany reached the ropes and then tapped immediately afterwards, but because she touched the ropes first, the hold had to be broken and the tap out didn't count. Tiffany then applied a single leg Boston Crab with her knee across the spine of Thea. Thea held on for as long as she could and then Andre Chase ended up throwing the towel in on Thea's behalf, so Tiffany gets the technical submission victory. There was a backstage segment with Schism up next. They talk about what happened to them on the kickoff show. I didn't see it, but apparently two masked members of their entourage attacked them and cost them their match. They were speculating that the two were the Creed brothers in disguise, and as they were arguing amongst themselves, Ava said there will be an interrogation on the following NXT, which would have already happened by the time this show airs. The main event was for the NXT Championship with Carmelo Hayes defending against Ilya Dragunov. This one was wild, and I'm almost tempted to pick Dragunov as best wrestler of the year. He brings the intensity every time, and this match was no exception. It was very competitive. Dragunov at one point went for a coast-to-coast -coast move, but Hayes sprung up to his feet and met Dragunov on the way down with a codebreaker. Hayes then tried nothing but net, but Dragunov caught him with a powerbomb in midair, and the landing looked nasty. There was a nice spot where Hayes countered a superplex into a cutter in midair. Dragunov came back and tried for the torpedo Moscow on the floor, but Hayes moved and Trick ended up taking the move. This provided an opening for Hayes to return Dragunov to the ring and hit nothing but net to retain his title. This was a great match and I think solidified Hayes as a main event player. It was like his Steve Austin moment versus Bret Hart. From there we move along to SummerSlam which took place just two days ago from Detroit. The opening was narrated by Kid Rock. I'm not sure if he's from Detroit or what the association is there, but it kind of worked. They basically showed highlights of previous SummerSlam events. Logan Paul vs. Ricochet opened the show, which was kind of expected, as Logan probably had to fly out immediately afterwards to make it to his brother's big fight against Nate Diaz. Logan was doing a tremendous job of playing mind games, not only with his opponent Ricochet, but also with the crowd. This guy definitely puts in the work, and I still don't understand the hate. Cole noted that this is only the second SummerSlam match for either of these guys, which I would think is much sadder in Ricochet's case. Logan controlled the early stages of the match. He actually mocked Ricochet's partner Braun Strowman at one point and did Strowman's infamous yell before delivering a running power slam. 
Logan later hit a big boot and leg drop with a split, which Cole said he calls the Hogan Paul. There was a fun spot where Logan tried a Spanish fly off the ring apron, but both guys just kind of landed on their feet or knees, and then Ricochet rebounded, or ricocheted if you will, and hit a Spanish fly to Logan on the floor. There was a crazy spot where Logan hit a buckshot lariat to Ricochet on the floor from inside the ring, which looked insane. Logan eventually went shoulder first into the post, which changed the tide of the match. Ricochet delivered a neckbreaker off the top rope while also doing a tremendous job of selling the ribs, which were injured earlier on in the match. In fact, every time Ricochet hit a move, he always had a hand on his ribs to show how much it hurt. I love that attention to detail. The end came when Ricochet missed the 630 splash, and then a member of Logan's entourage suddenly appeared at ringside and placed a pair of brass knuckles on Logan's hand, which he used to KO Ricochet to pick up the cheap win. And then Logan was trying to get ring announcer and Ricochet's fiance Samantha Irvin, to announce him as the winner again. I thought Samantha did a great job, too, of selling the emotion here. Footage was then shown of Sheamus arriving in style to the arena in a monster truck and meeting up with his buddies in the Brawling Brutes. This was kind of random. Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar was surprisingly the second match in. It was a third match in their trilogy, and I'm surprised it didn't have any stipulation. Cody tried to sneak attack Brock right from the opening bell, but Brock quickly fought back and took Cody directly to Suplex City. Brock really controlled most of the match with continuous German suplexes and a couple of F5s to Cody on the floor and one through the announce table. But Cody kept getting back up and back into the ring and with everyone begging him to stay down. I thought the storytelling in this match was very well done and they did a great job of highlighting both guys. Lesnar tried another F5 on the floor, but Cody countered and sent Brock into the ring post a couple of times, and then hit him with the ring steps. Back in the ring, Cody hit the disaster kick, and then a Cody cutter, and another one from the top rope, but Brock kicked out. Cody went for the crossroads, but Brock countered into a Kimura. Cody fought with all of his might, and eventually reached the ropes. Brock went for another F5, but Cody blocked it, and sent Brock chest first into the exposed turnbuckle. Cody then applied a Kimura of his own, but Brock slammed his way out of it. Cody beat Brock to their feet and drilled him with three consecutive crossroads to finally put the beast away. After the match, Brock and Cody went face-to-face -face and shook hands in an apparent face turn for Lesnar. It'll be interesting to see what they do with each guy from here, as this one appears to be done. The Slim Jim Battle Royal was up next, and LA Knight was a clear favorite in this one. He, AJ, and Miz all got entrances while the rest of the field were already in the ring. Before the match started, MVP interrupted and said you can't start the Battle Royal before introducing the guy who's going to win, so MVP brings out Omos and the match gets underway. Omos immediately throws out a bunch of guys, including Apollo Crews, JD McDonough, Rick Boogs, and Otis. Chad Gable eliminates Giovanni Vinci of Imperium, and then Champa dumps out both members of the Viking Raiders one after another. Champa also tosses out his TV rival Shinsuke Nakamura, but then Bronson Reed throws out Champa. Theory eliminates Ridge Holland and then Cameron Grimes. He then comes face to face with his number one contender, Santos Escobar, who quickly eliminates him. Escobar's celebration doesn't last too long, though, as he's quickly tossed out by Karrion Cross. Gable skins the cat and triangles the head of Ludwig Kaiser from behind to eliminate him. Omos then eliminates both Riddle and Butch at the same time, and then everyone remaining in the match each hits a move to the big guy and teams up to eliminate him. Miz thought he eliminated LA Knight, but Knight held on and ends up throwing Miz out. Sheamus eliminates Grayson Waller, and AJ hits a Pele to eliminate Cross. Bronson then eliminates Gable. 
and Knight latches onto Reed's head with a guillotine to eliminate him. Cross then returns to distract AJ, which allows Sheamus to hit a bro kick and eliminate Styles. So this leaves Sheamus and Knight as the final two, and the crowd is solidly in the corner of Knight. I think if Sheamus had won this, he'd be the biggest heel in the industry. Fortunately, that didn't happen, as Vince McMahon probably wasn't watching. Knight belly-to-belly Sheamus off the top rope and then clotheslines him out to win the match. This was a fine showcase of Knight, but I just wish something was at stake in this match. There was a Slim Jim commercial up next, which kind of threw back to the old Randy Savage commercial with a modern twist. Shayna Baszler vs. Ronda Rousey was up next in what was being described as an MMA match. This absolutely sucked. I cannot believe they tried to pull this off, but there was no suspension of disbelief. Ronda still doesn't know how to throw a worked punch, and this match was extremely sloppy and poorly executed. Nobody bought the idea that this was a shoot fight or that these two hated each other. Before the match, Cole quickly announced a change to the announced teams, as he and Wade Barrett will now be calling Raw starting tonight, while Cole, Corey Graves, and Kevin Patrick will be calling SmackDown. I was just thinking that more Michael Cole is all we need. Anyway, the match starts and Shayna draws first blood, so to speak, with a head kick causing Rousey to roll out to the floor, something that would have never happened in an actual MMA fight. Rousey comes back with a step-up knee to Shayna's face. Shayna apparently hurt her arm as well and was being checked on by the officials, which was a complete waste of time as the match would have been over in an actual fight. Ronda then starts assaulting the security that were checking on Shayna. Shayna gets upset and throws her mouth guard at Ronda, and then they just start throwing hands. She hits a German suplex and then applies the Karafuta clutch. Ronda countered into an armbar, and then Shayna countered again into an ankle lock. Shayna then went back to the Karafuta clutch, and Ronda just went limp, so Shayna wins the match, and thankfully this is over. This was like this generation's Mr. T versus Roddy Piper boxing match, except without the believability. This is currently a front-runner for worst match of the year. Gunther vs. Drew McIntyre was up next for the Intercontinental title. I was so looking forward to this match, but that last one just completely removed any interest I had left in this show, which solidified my point about it being the worst match of the year. These guys did bring the intensity. They traded clotheslines and chops and were working very stiff, as I think everyone expected. McIntyre did hit the Claymore, but Gunther kicked out at two. They fought for position on the top turnbuckle, and then Gunther crotched McIntyre on the top rope, and then delivered a big splash, followed by a clothesline and powerbomb for the clean win. There is no doubt in my mind that he's going to eclipse Honky Tonk Man's record. Seth Rollins vs. Finn Balor was up next for the World Heavyweight title, and this was the match that got me back into the show. It was really good, and I love the story as well. In fact, Finn had the word seven tattooed across his chest, while Seth wore the same vest he wore in their previous SummerSlam match in 2016, when Finn got injured and had to vacate the Universal title. Balor's sneak attacks Seth before the bell rings and starts to target the arm, basically trying to injure Seth as revenge for the 2016 match. Finn actually does hit the barricade bomb later in the match, which was the very move that injured him. Seth comes back and hits a couple of buckle bombs in the ring and then a frog splash for a near fall. Finn misses the coup de grace and Seth hits a pedigree for two. At this point, Damian Priest comes out with the Money in the Bank briefcase. He nails Seth with a cheap shot from ringside, and then Balor hits his own pedigree for a near fall. Dom and Rhea then come out and distract the ref, as Priest gives the case to Balor to use, but Balor insists that they stick to the original plan. This momentary distraction allows Seth to hit the stomp on Finn for a near fall. 
Rollins then takes Priest out on the floor, but Balor takes over with a sling blade and then a corner drop kick, and finally the coup de grace, only for Seth to kick out again. Balor is then yelling at Priest for his involvement. Priest then plants the case in the ring and tries to distract the ref. Balor goes to pick it up, but Seth stomps him into the case to win the match. After the match, Priest looks at Balor with disapproval, shaking his head as Balor is fuming. There was a weird vignette backstage with Alpha Academy playing WWE 2K23 and drinking Mike's Harder Lemonade. Gable then goes on this rant about the history of the name and word Mike, and they're interrupted by The Miz, who says he's the only Mike in the room, and then they kind of just trip Miz into this travel case and lock him in there. I'm not sure what this was supposed to be. The triple threat was up next for the SmackDown women's title. It was Asuka defending against Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair. This match was fantastic, and I like that all three were involved throughout, and they didn't just focus on two people at a time. Bianca caught a vicious knee from Asuka in the early going. She came back and tried for the standing moonsault, but Asuka got the knees up, and then applied the Asuka lock to Charlotte, who was also involved in that sequence. Bianca broke the move with a handspring standing moonsault, which didn't make a ton of sense to me. Why didn't she just kick them or something to break that up? Charlotte hit a moonsault to the floor at one point, but missed Bianca by almost a foot, which looked pretty bad. Back in the ring, Asuka applied the Asuka lock to Bianca around the ropes, but Charlotte kicked her off the apron. Later on, Asuka went back to the Asuka lock on Bianca, and Charlotte hit a top rope moonsault to break it up and tried pinning both ladies, but they both kicked out. There was a spot where Charlotte elevated Bianca over the top rope from the corner, and Bianca apparently landed badly on the, on the arena floor, and seemed to have twisted her knee, so she was being helped out by medical staff. Charlotte then applied the figure eight to Asuka, and Bianca limped back out and hit a 450 splash to break that up. Again, why didn't she just kick them or something? Charlotte then applied the figure eight on Bianca with her knee injured, and then Asuka sprayed mist into the eyes of Charlotte. Asuka then went after Bianca, but Bianca just kind of pulled her into an inside cradle to surprisingly win back the title. And then, to no one's surprise, Io Sky and Bailey came running out with the Money in the Bank briefcase. Bailey took out both Charlotte and Asuka with the case, and then Io cashed in on Bianca, immediately hitting her with the briefcase, and then delivered the over the moonsault to win the title. This was a great moment, although I'd have preferred Io to cash in on Asuka, as a feud with Bianca doesn't do much for me. Dakota Kai also returned and joined in on the celebration. So that led into the main event. It was the tribal combat, which again was basically just extreme rules between Jey Uso and Roman Reigns for the WWE Universal Championship. Roman controlled the early portion of the match. Jey eventually fought back and hit a tope into Roman's back on the floor. Jey then tried to set up a table at ringside, but took a little too long and was also jawing with Heyman, so Roman regained the advantage and started beating on Jey with a kendo stick. Jey then gained possession of the stick and beat Roman down. He hit a tope con hero to the floor and then started beating Roman with a chair. Roman came back and hit a powerbomb to Jay into a stack of chairs in the ring. Jay then delivered a Samoan drop off the apron through the table he set up earlier on the floor. He then viciously whips Roman with a leather strap and they fight through the crowd. At this point, Solo gets involved. He hits Jay with a spinning Solo through a table in the crowd and then drags him back to the ring. He delivers another spinning solo in the ring, and then he and Roman set up for the double-team Samoan Spike spear spot, but Jay pulls Solo in his place, and Solo ends up taking the spear. Jay then spears Roman for a near fall. 
Jay tries to attack Roman on the outside with a chair, but eats a super kick from Solo. As Solo and Roman argue about Rain spearing him earlier, Jay spears Roman through the barricade. He then super kicks Solo and splashes him through the announce table, much like Solo did to Jimmy weeks ago. Back in the ring, Jay hits another spear on Roman and then the flying splash, but as he makes the pin, he is pulled off the cover by a hooded guy at ringside, who is revealed to be Jimmy Uso. Dun dun dun. Jimmy ends up super kicking his own brother and tosses him back into the ring, allowing Roman to spear Jay through the corner table to pick up the final three count and keep the title. I like the storyline advancement here, and especially that it seemed that even Roman was surprised by Jimmy's actions. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. So that's SummerSlam. I'm out of here for another week. Next week, I will be chatting with my friend Ruben about his trip to Detroit and upcoming trip to London. Until then, I leave you with an ABC up.